As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget... If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Wednesday, September 27th on the Just Baseball Show, it's the Disaster Hour. In this episode, we are ranking the five disaster teams from five to one, and we're looking at preseason win totals and which five teams had the largest discrepancy, but we also have to involve payroll. There's also context to each individual team. Unfortunately, no Jack, no Aram, but I have the perfect person to talk about disaster teams. Ryan Finkelstein, managing editor of Just Baseball with the Mets flag behind him. And I'm a Yankee fan, so you and I both know pain. And it's all brought to you by the King of Sportsbooks, and that is BetMGM. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account using promo code Just Baseball. Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. And if the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older and terms and conditions apply. Ryan, we were going to do a eulogy just about our New York sports teams. But then we thought, does anyone really want to hear us bitch about just two teams in Major League Baseball when there were plenty of other disasters? So we were just talking pre-record. Tell the people more about how we came to these five. Well, to me, it's it's a combination of things. It's preseason expectation, which we're going to get to in the win totals. It's you know, obviously the disaster of a season, these teams, you know, some of them highest payrolls in the sport that didn't make the playoffs. And then it's also the fallout. Like a lot of these teams we're going to talk about have so many questions they have to answer now going into this off season as to how do they get back to a place where they can actually be in contention, which is not a conversation. Any of us thought we'd have, you know, at the beginning of the season. And remind the people, when is the last time that our New York sports teams have not been in the playoffs? It was a funny stat that I saw them put out there because it's basically just the Yankees have been in the playoffs like every year, and the Mets helped them out in 2015. I think it was 2014 was the last time there was not a New York team in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure it's only happened a handful of times in the history of Major League Baseball. I saw somewhere that it was only three times that all the New York sports teams talking about the Yankees and the Mets haven't been in the playoffs. Now it's been a lot of Yankees. Credit to me, not credit to you. <laughs> but... At the same time, both of our teams were in the 90 win total projections and both fell flat on their faces. So we're the perfect duo to talk about some crap teams. 
And before we get to number five, we already had a slight debate because the Angels come in at number five as our fifth most disaster team. And there's a lot of reasons, which we'll get into for both. But I brought up the Cleveland Guardians as a team with an 86.5 win total projected on BetMGM at the beginning of the season that, as we sit here today, only have 74 wins. Again, we are recording on Tuesday. Shane Bieber got hurt. Tristan McKenzie got hurt. But I think the reason they didn't make it into our five was because while they did have an elevated win total, a lot of people thought that the Guardians would be good as they were last year. There wasn't this enormous amount of pressure. There wasn't this big payroll. There wasn't stars littered across the roster. And while the Angels only had an 82.5 projected win total, there were definitely haters on either side of the aisle. A lot of people had a lot more faith in a team led by Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon and a revamped pitching staff and attacking at the deadline while the Guardians did not. That's why I think the Angels would finish at five for us. Yeah, I mean, the Guardians, that win total was kind of brought up by how much they exceeded expectations last year. And, you know, I think they're probably not as good as they were last year, and maybe they're not as bad as they are this year. It's a franchise that, you know, is going to lean on their their youth, they're going to lean on their pitching, and they're going to just kind of see what happens each year, and this just wasn't their year. So they said, all right, we'll just let this thing play out. doesn't really matter too much. And next year, you never know. The Guardians, especially in that division, could certainly be back in it. The Angels were as all-in as a team could be. They called up any prospect that was, you know, seemingly close to being able to hit major league pitching. They said, you know what? They're up, whatever. Doesn't matter. We're calling everyone up. They were trading in June with my Mets to get Eduardo Escobar to get Mike Moustakis because they were just like, hey, let's keep throwing prospects. They gave up for Dominic Leone. Okay, this is from a Mets perspective, but still. Dominic Leone's a guy that the Mets picked up off of waivers. They gave up their ninth best prospect for him. The guy pitched to an ERA like over five with the Mets and with the Angels, I think, and was uh, you know part of that waiver sell-off they had. So the Angels were just a, a disaster of a season if there if there is one. I, if we were removing the context of their expectations, I'd almost put them number one on this list just for how bad it's been and the, the fallout of this season. Who knows what's going to look like the next couple of years if Otani does walk on April first. The Los Angeles Angels beat the living piss out of the Oakland A's 13-1. to They got a five-inning performance from Patrick Sandoval, and their lineup was Taylor Ward in left, Mike Trout in center, Shohei Otani at DH, Anthony Rendon at third, Hunter Renfro in right, Jake Lamb at first, Luis Renjifo at second base, Gio Urshela playing shortstop third base. I'm not exactly, I assume he played shortstop in this game, might've moved over. Yeah, because David Fletcher came in and pitch it for Rendon. And then Logan Ohapi at catcher. You can understand why an Angels team, that's a pretty exciting lineup. And then you look at the starting rotation, you're like, the this team can compete. And then on what was yesterday, September 25th, they lost five to one to the Angel, or to the Rangers. This was their lineup. Nolan Shanwell, who they just drafted and also has been very good, at least in his brief cameo, right? He's kind of a slap hitter. He's not a great defender. But at the end of the day, he was drafted 11th overall and now sits with a 284 batting average. You got to give him a lot of credit. Hitting second, Zach Neto. Third, Brandon Drury. Fourth, Mike Moustakis. Fifth, Logan Ohapi is back, which he missed a lot of the season. Randall Gritchick, Joe Adele, Jared Walsh playing right field, and Michael Stefanik. It's a pretty big fall off there. There is nobody in this lineup that was on that April 1st lineup except for Logan Ohapi. Who missed like most of the games in between the, the those two dates. And, and the thing, too, is that lineup that they're running on now, it's like a, a corpse of their season. It's You got a combination of the, the kids they called up early, the, some of the guys they traded for that they no one would take their contracts at the waiver deadline. It, it, it's just it, it shows you how everything has fallen apart. And of course, the biggest absence from that lineup is Trout and Otani. And we just and saw, Rendon, and we just matter. saw. I don't know if you saw that clip. We posted it uh, from Bally Sports West on the Just Baseball Show Instagram 
of Mike Trout talking about his future. And he's very hesitant to say, yes, I want out because he's a professional and he doesn't want the limelight. He doesn't want the story on him. And that's been a common theme of Mike Trout's career. But you saw him get emotional and that he said that he pushed himself quicker to get back on the field with his guys because all he wants to do is play. That was the common thing he said. I just want to win. I just want to be out there with my guys. And he got emotional. And I feel bad for the guy because while he is sitting in his mansion with hundreds and hundreds of million dollars, I bet there's a deep part of him that is really depressed about what has happened to his team, the team that drafted him, the team that he's won multiple MVPs on, the team that I bet when he signed that 13-year contract that he wanted to win with. But it's clear now that Mike Trout has to get out. He absolutely has to leave Anaheim, Los Angeles, wherever they want to call their own team and get the hell out because this is an absolute disaster. And if you're the owner, Artie Moreno or Perry Manassian, I wish I could come to you, Ryan, with a, this is what they should do, but Otani is gone. Trout's going to be gone. And this is going to be a full rebuild, even though at the deadline, they traded Edgar Caro, who I know, and Angels fans are quick to remind us. They had a backlog, right? They have Logan Ohapi, but did you have to trade him for, Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez, who will also be gone at the end of the year. Reed Detmers has taken a step back. Patrick Sandoval has been fine right in that game where I said they lost five to one. He threw three innings and had five walks, lowered his ERA because he didn't give up a run to 4-1-1. Are there any bright spots here? Because I could say, well, Zach Neto looks like a good shortstop moving forward, 223 batting average this season. Now, there's plenty of other stats. I'm just going on the baseline of, he didn't shock the world this year. Logan Ohapi was good, but injured. Nolan Shanwell looks like a guy that you can plug in, but he's never going to have that much power. Joe Adele has not fully taken grab of this center field job. Jared Walsh is a disaster. Like, what do they do here? What do they do? They've done everything wrong this season, which makes it harder to say, what do they do now? Because they got to you know, pull themselves out of this hole that they just dug in. As you're going through the whole thing with Trout, something came across my mind. Is Mike Trout the Damian Lillard of the MLB? Is that is that is it two parallel situations going on and Dame's finally going to get out of Portland? Is this the time for, for Trout to finally get out of Anaheim? Uh, it, it's crazy, man. They're a team we've got to just, just focus on this offseason because it, it's going to be fascinating to see how they try to you know, move forward now. after uh, Clearly, it was just all in on this one season, and it could not have gone any worse. Here's what makes it worse than Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard has some big time shots in the postseason. Mike Trout's <laughs> played a game. Like yeah. it, he's even worse than Dame Lillard, who is now trying to leave. And and Mike Trout should definitely do that same thing. And it definitely doesn't help that the Angels, on top of all of this, were in the top ten of payroll this season. Like uh, that's why they get our number five spot instead of the Guardians. Because while they had the same discrepancy of wins towards their projected win total, yeah. the Angels have to be at number five. And what's crazy about this list is everything went wrong for the Angels this season, but they're only number five. And we <laughs> haven't even gotten to our teams, but we're about to. Because at number four is my New York Yankees. So the Yankees, and they're always going to have an elevated projected win total because they're the New York Yankees and bet MGM knows that they are going to be the most bet on team and all the people that bet on the Yankees are currently donating back to bet MGM unfortunately 93 and a half projected win total as we sit here today the Yankees fell 14 games under that there are a couple of games over 500 but Ryan it has been an absolute disaster among offensive players on the New York Yankees this season, Aaron Judge is number one in war. Glaber Torres is number two. And then you have DJ LeMahieu, Harrison Bader, and Kyle Higashioka. Kyle Higashioka, the backup catcher going into this year, is number four on the Yankees in F-War at 1.6. In terms of WRC+, this team ranks 19th in Major League Baseball. This was a pathetic offense all season long. 
there are three pitchers on the Yankees who recorded over 100 innings. Garrett Cole, who's going to win the Cy Young, which makes this season even more disheartening because you are wasting the primes of arguably the best pitcher in baseball and the best hitter in baseball to finish around 500. Number two, Clark Schmidt, who had a pretty solid year, but nothing to ride home about. If you would ask Yankee fans at the beginning of the season and Clark Schmidt would be number two in innings, they would say, okay, well, we're just not going to watch the season because obviously everything went wrong. And talking about everything going wrong, number three on that list is Domingo Herman, who is currently not on the Yankees and does have a perfect game on his mantle, but is also off the field for issues that are only going to make me more sad to even get into. The one bright spot of this team was their bullpen. That's how, in terms of pitching ERA this season, the Yankees finished ninth. I don't know how. Well, I do because of guys like Ian Hamilton. Clay Holmes has even been good. But Luizga being on the shelf certainly doesn't help. And Anthony Volpe also, I i don't know if I mentioned him in the top guys of war, but he was right there as well as a rookie hitting around 200. Everything that could go wrong for the Yankees, who are in the top three of payroll in Major League Baseball, absolutely went wrong. Carlos Rodon, disaster. Nestor Cortez, injured and a disaster. Luis Severino, injured and a disaster. I can't wait to talk about the Mets because I want to feel a little bit happier. But this was a disaster, Ryan. An absolute, utter disaster. And the fact that they're at four kind of makes me feel okay because other teams had worse years. And if the Dodgers, you know, do something a little bit different with that outfield fence, Aaron Judge could have masked all of those problems and the Yankees would have been at least not on this list and they might still be in contention. That's the crazy thing is that is how good Aaron Judge is. That's how good Garrett Cole is. And that's why if you look forward, there's still plenty of reason for optimism because you have those two guys. But they got to make some real you know, changes and have some tough conversations about how they're constructing a roster around these guys. Because, you know, you just need average. Like, you need average everywhere. If you get average everywhere and you have those two superstars, you'd be in a much better place. But it's the amount of below average they got this year across the board that, you know, made it so they obviously couldn't deal with the loss of Judge. But even further, they might have missed the, the playoffs, even if Judge had been there the whole year because of all those things you just described. I thought Anthony Rizzo was a pretty good symbol of this season. And yeah. what I mean by that is disaster on all fronts. Um, We'll just start with, you signed a two-year, $40 million deal. I think all Yankee fans were excited to have him come back, right? Plays pretty good, then runs into Fernando Tatis Jr. Or Fernando Tatis Jr. runs into him, bonks his head, and stays in the game, doesn't look the same, plays a couple of more months, plays horribly, and then we find out that he was dealing with a concussion, that this guy just really wasn't healthy post-Tatis, you know, collision. That's why I feel like he's such a symbol, because you had hope at the beginning of the year signing a guy like that. He does okay then gets hurt, plays through an injury, never looks the same, and then is out for the year. Finishes with a 0.9 F4. That's why I feel like he's a symbol. Because you sign Carlos Rodon. You have a lot of hope. Guys get injured, even playing injured. Like a guy like Jose Trevino, who we found out later that the wrist was much worse than we thought, and he was basically swinging a dead bat because his bat speed was down because his wrist was screwed up. So Anthony Rizzo's season being terrible is a good symbol overall, even dating back to the contract for Yankees baseball in 2023. And we didn't even mention Jason Dominguez <laughs> coming up being awesome. And I'm sorry to bring it up, but you're, you're, you you know, you're going to say way worse to me when we get to the Mets. So I'm going to say way worse to me, say whatever you need to do. And then on top of that, Dominguez is the only rookie they called up who looks really good. If we're not counting Anthony Volpe, we're talking about the new guys, right? Austin Wells has not hit anything since he's been called up. Everson Prayer has been so hit or miss. You can tell he's just really raw, and he's not fully ready to take that next jump. But it's so funny because the Yankees are willing to call up those guys, but then they go get Luke Weaver, 
to try and make these spot starts lately instead of calling up maybe a Drew Thorpe who is regarded as one of the best pitching prospects in baseball for the Yankees. Now, is Drew Thorpe ready? I don't know. But could we at least see it on the big scene? Will it at least make Yankee fans excited? Of course. What do they do? No. Let's do Luke Weaver, who has been DFA'd by what seems every team in Major League Baseball and just continues to give up piss missiles. Now, the Yankees would say, well, we see some things in his stuff metrics and we think he could be a fine pitcher i mean that's a smoke screen and they would point me to numbers and i'd be like okay yeah i could see it but i mean what are we doing truly is luke weaver going to be a part of your future absolutely not so the yankees at least gave fans a little bit of hope but then that hope got kind of got diminished by seeing a couple of players who we do expect to be good long term, but at least right now do not look good so it's not giving yankee fans much hope and then on the mound they just straight aren't doing that there's a lot of things i want to say what i will say just to end on the yankees the bullpen was very good and the yankees continually proved that they can bring guys up who most fans have never heard of albeit ian hamilton is a good example and make them into quality quality relievers but they have not figured out the starting pitching market and this offense even when you have aaron judge who, if healthy, I think could have hit 60 home runs again. That's what he's on pace for. They just could never surround him with good enough bats. And it really stinks because Glaber Torres this season played really well. Like, this was a guy who was kind of slept on moving into the beginning of the year. And he proved he's still one of the best power-hitting second basemans in the game. But that's all you had. And that's not enough to compete. And it's even more embarrassing when you have a top-three payroll. Can I give you the answer to, to the Yankees' problems? I just saw something uh, came out yesterday, a report about the Padres, who are number three team. Transition, by the way, professional transition. I'm a podcaster. I do this for a living. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Padres are apparently in money trouble. This team that has this, you know, front loaded, uh, you know, top heavy roster. Apparently can't pay all these guys. They're going to have to cut the payroll to $200 million next year. Who is the one guy who they could trade this offseason who's not on the books long-term but is going to make like $30 million in arbitration? A guy with a really nice left-handed swing. Juan Soto to the Yankees. Should they just mortgage everything they got on the farm? Go get, and Probably not everything. It's a rental. Maybe even more affordable. You trade for Soto. You, you extend them. There you go. Yankees problem solved. Judge and Soto. Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Um And the George Steinbrenner-led Yankees would have probably already done that. But I don't see the Yankees actually doing that. Would I love for that to happen? Of course. But I just, with the way they are right now, they want to build with these young guys. They believe in these young guys. And I just don't see it happening. Could they do it? Absolutely. Does it make all the sense in the world? Absolutely. But there's a lot of teams that it makes sense for. And the Yankees, at least at this current juncture, they still sign Judge to a nine-year, $360 million contract. They still have Garrett Cole in the books for another year, and I'm sure they're going to want to extend him as well. They're also looking at Glaber Torres entering arbitration, right? They have a lot of their own issues here. So if we look at the Yankees, who they currently have on payroll, right? You're paying Carlos Rodon until 2028. You're paying DJ LeMahieu until 2026. Now, Luis Severino will be a free agent in 2024, so he's going to come off the books. But you got another year of Anthony Rizzo. And then the the dagger in all Yankee fans' hearts is that you're still paying Giancarlo Stanton $32 million next year, $32 million the year after that, $29 million in 2026, $25 million in 2027. And then he's got a team option in 2028. So you're still wrapped up in Giancarlo Stanton. Is he a DH? Is he an outfielder? He can't run anymore. He can barely move. I think Yankee fans saw that, have seen that all season, but it really showed up in the latter parts of the season when he's trying to beat out double plays in the hole. And they'll say, oh, yeah, of course he'll be at first base. And he's thrown out by five steps because he can't move anymore. So I'd love for that to happen. We could make mock trades. The Yankees have the farm system in order to do it. But will they? I find it highly doubtful. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah, you think they pick up that team option in 2028 on stand? What do you think? No, probably not. 
if they do I'm becoming a Mariners fan, but they've also let me down this year. But the Mariners are not number three on this list because the Mariners have still had a good season relative to expectations. But number three on our list are those San Diego Padres. So the San Diego Padres at the beginning of the year were one of the most hyped teams coming off an NLCS loss to the Phillies. But then they make moves. They get Xander Bogarts. You know, they've already had Tatis. Machado, even Kim was great this year. But we've heard a lot of bad shit come out of San Diego recently. Padres 93 and a half wins, 16 below expectations as of right now. And I thought the perfect way to describe the San Diego Padres season, Blake Snell, six shutout innings. He's going to win this Cy Young. And what happens? What's been happening all season long to the Padres? They lose two to one to the San Francisco Giants. And there's another blown save that you can add to their record. And Josh Hader had some very interesting comments afterward. Josh, and this is from AJ Casavell on X or Twitter. Josh Hader asked his thinking behind not making himself available for four outs. And I quote, it's the situation that we were at. And he was asked to clarify. He said, are we in the playoff race? Technically, yes but it would take a miracle to which he said, you guys want me to do everything. That is about as disheartening as possible. Josh Hader will be a free agent after the year. And with the Padres saying they will work to attain a more complete and more affordable roster based on the San Diego union tribune article, Blake Snell is going to be a free agent. He's going to be a free agent and they want to clear about $200 million in payroll as they sit in 77 and 79. They want to get down to about $200 million. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's look, the Padres to me, like they're another team that I would say, again, if we were, you know, not looking at their win total, just looking at the full context of their season, I could put them atop this list because there was a way for them to do what the Mets did and get out of this a little bit, accept their fate and flip Josh Hader and Blake Snell and, Hell, if they're going to trade Juan Soto now, they could have done it and got an even better package at the deadline. It To me, I think what happened here, because it seems like we don't know if Preller's going to be back. We don't know if Bob Melvin's going to be back. They could be cleaning houses, starting over when it comes to the management structure of the Padres. Then the incumbents are sitting, and if they don't know that they're coming back, why is Preller going to do the Padres any favors and trade off the pieces he brought in? Might as well try to save your job by this team making a run down the stretch. So now the Padres are in a worse position where they could have rebuilt the farm overnight and still had Machado, Bogarts, Tatis, Musgrove, Darvish. Like, you know, even with everything that's gone wrong, they're not going to be far away. But trying to build around this team is going to get really complicated now. And if they are cutting payroll, which is what the report says, and you're removing soda from the equation, that alone gets you to about Ball, I think I was looking at the numbers yesterday. I think their projected salary right now, not including arbitration players, is like 170 million. So you throw in Soto, that gets you to 200. You still have to bill out the rest of your team. So it's they're in a weird, weird spot now. And there was that moment, like whatever it was three or four days ago, where they won nine games in a row. And like, oh my God, maybe they actually come back. And the reality is, it was too little, too late. And so now they're going to miss the playoffs. And who knows where they go from here. But I think what we're learning is what they were trying to accomplish was clearly unsustainable. And now they got to come up with a new model. Yes, they do. And this model has to help them in one run games. They were seven and 27 this season in one run ball games. Weren't they a disaster in, in extra innings too? Like, weren't they like, didn't they lose like every extra inning game they played also? I wouldn't be surprised because they only won seven of the one run games. And I assume a lot of them were in extra innings. So I don't know the exact record, but I can imagine that they were dreadful in extra innings. And it's so funny because you look at the offense. Tatis had a good year. Machado, maybe not to his standards, but still a good year. Kim had an amazing year. And Xander Bogarts, he was kind of banged up, especially with the wrist, did not play well but ended up having a 4.3 B war F war, wherever you look, he's in the four range. 
Now, Padres fans, it was funny because I was looking up these stats and then I was reading some tweets from Padres fans. They think it's a complete fugazi because he's put up like a 1200 OPS in September. He really chose the end of the season when there was no pressure and they were out of it to completely rebound. And at the end of the year, we say, oh, Bogarts had a good year, right? When we look at the totality. But the reality is that for most of the season, he was not good. And now I do put some blame on that injury. I think that Xander Bogarts is still one of the more complete hitters in the National League. Defensively, I don't know. But at the same time, now you have Haseon Kim, who you can move in and out. Jay Cronenworth had a terrible year. Nola, I mean, Potters fans, we don't even have to talk about him, right? But you go from position to position, it wasn't all that bad. Of course, you have Trent Grisham, who is a great center fielder defensively, but, I mean, cannot hit water if he fell off a boat, at least this season. And over his last 1,200 plate appearances, 646 OPS. Like, this is a continued trend now of that one great year he had, probably a little bit of a smoke screen. But the issue has not been the offense, albeit they have not come up in big spots, but overall they were a fine offensive team. You got the Cy Young out of Blake Snell, but you barely got anything out of Musgrove this year. And you Darvish hitting the aisle lately, was a little bit inconsistent this season. And Michael Waka was fine, but the starting rotation was not up to the billing. And then you look at the bullpen. Just awful. I mean, just dreadful. And it wasn't just, you look at the totality of their stats. It was a game-by-game basis, bad managing by Bob Melvin, and just in big spots with one-run leads they would blow it. And then when you go seven and 27 in one run games, you're just not going to have a good season. And it's funny on the show a couple of days ago, I said, I think that those one run games, like that's a stat kind of like interceptions in the NFL. It's one of those things that just kind of regresses to the mean Miami Marlins were the worst in one run games last year. Now they're one of the best. Just sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. So I said, I think they're going to have a big bounce back here. But now after hearing that they want to cut payroll down, how can I buy back into that? Like if I'm a Padres fan, where am I sitting at today with my team? I mean, you imagine you're taking the same team and you might be pulling away. You probably are pulling away. Definitely Blake's now. I don't think they're going to start cutting payroll. He's going to get a big bag this offseason. So that's not happening. You're probably taking your closer out of the mix. Again, if you're cutting payroll, are you really going to sign Josh Hader? And you might sell off Juan Soto. So you might take away, if not your best bat, one of your best bats and your best starter, your best reliever. And now you're just going to roll back out and think it's going to happen. I do think that sometimes that that one run game thing, it, it really is just the momentum of a season. Like we just know when a baseball team is bad. They yep. just, they can't win the series. They always lose the rubber match. They just, just bad teams. And I think that you're right in the sense that that could come back to to norm and that they might end up with a similar season if not a little better next year just because the vibes are better for whatever reason but they're not going to be that's the thing though like we think the vibes are going to be better but there's clearly turmoil in this locker room that's all we've heard all season and it's hard to well we don't have clear facts right we don't have Manny Machado saying you know what I hate Tatis I hate (laughs) you know Ha-Seong Kim I hate Jake Corner no he's never said any of that and we're not going to ever get any of that but when we've heard rumors of it and you see the way that this team goes to the ballpark like it's one thing to look at a record of seven and 27 then it's to watch them play because they'll be up five to two and it's almost like they're packing it in and they've already won and then they there's a comeback against them and then they fold or they're down by one run and they're like all right we're going back to the hotel anyway like we lost like the attitude surrounding this team i think is the worst in major league baseball and i don't yeah. even know if it's all that close because other teams that we're going to talk about i think they just ran into a really bad year right we're going to talk about the Mets. We're going to talk about our number two team because everybody knows the Mets are already in it. you got a Mets flag. But the number two team, I think it was just a really, really crap year. With the Padres, I think they brought it upon themselves. And if we're talking about other players, 
right? Because Soto's the big name who could be gone. Snell's going to be gone. Josh Hader's going to be gone. But how about like Seth Lugo, Nick Martinez, Michael Waka, who have not been the issue for the Padres this year. And from this article, like that is a big chunk of their starting rotation. You know, Lugo's is a player option. He's probably going to become a free agent because if I'm him, I could either take seven, seven and a half million or try and get a multi-year deal, which I'm, I assume he can. You got two-year options on Martinez and Waka at 32 million. They're probably going to decline and they've all been pretty good. So they have not been the Padres issue. And now that they're going to be gone, who are they going to plug back into these roles when they're trying to cut payroll and starting pitchers are getting more and more expensive? You could say, okay, well, you know, there's guys on the market, right? Nola, Arias. But the Padres have already said, we're not going to be that aggressive team anymore, so you can kind of count them out of the sweepstakes. If I'm a San Diego Padres fan, I'm expecting a lot of the same now because they've shown that they are not going to add. And then in the locker room already with turmoil, what do you think that's going to do to the turmoil? Basically, ownership is saying, yeah, this doesn't work. So, and we're not real. We're going to run it back with what we have and what we have has already worked. So if you're already pissed off and you already don't like your teammates, you're going to have less of those good teammates now. It's a disaster. It's, it, it is. That's what I'm saying. I honestly think if we look forward, it could be the biggest disaster when you, like you compare them to the Angels. We didn't have the expect, like the Padres, we thought they could win the World Series. No one really Nin- thought the Angels were going to Nin- win the World Series this year. 93 and a half win projection versus 82 and a half. It, yeah. That's a 500 team versus a team who could win the World Series. You're exactly right. And so, and then you look forward and yes, they still are going to be better than the Angels next year because they have the holdovers. But you're even looking at those contracts, like what they did with Machado this offseason they were pushing up against an opt that they were kind of scared of. So they gave him 11 years, $350 million, and he turns in his worst season in years. Like now all of a sudden that contract looks a lot worse. You know, and so they just, they're in such a weird spot because they're, they are locked into a team that five years from now, like what, what does Bogarts and Machado look like when they're paying the back halves of those contracts? They, which means they got to figure out in these first five years and they're cutting payroll in the years where they got to figure it out. I just don't know. It, it, I'll tell you what you're talking about, like what makes you feel better. The Padres. Oh, it makes me feel so much better about the New York Mets right now. So much better. Cause at least they just said, Hey, we suck. Let's just lean into sucking. And now True. they have a way better farm system because of it. They have a plan. And now yep. the Padres plan moving into next year. We're just not going to spend as much. We're going to fire AJ Preller and not spend as much and, and hope that the next guy can figure it out. The thing is, what's funny enough is that AJ Preller gets his name out there because he has been so aggressive. But what I think make a, makes AJ Preller not just this gambling man who spends all the team's money is he's a really, really good scout. Like there's a reason that they were able to trade for Juan Soto. They continually replenish the farm system and they still have good prospects coming up the pipeline, most notably Jackson Merrill, right? So they should be able to continue to replenish that farm system. I think firing A.J. Preller would be a mistake. Like maybe what the Padres need to do is go get Heim Bloom, right? From the Red Sox, who's now without a job. Maybe they bring him in and they say, all right, all we're focused on for the next couple of years is creating the best farm system in baseball. That's what I think would be step number one if I was the owner of the Padres. I'm keeping Preller. I'm bringing in Bloom to maybe be an assistant to the GM. And it's like, all we're focused on, let's create a really good farm system again instead of just sitting in purgatory and kind of spending, kind of not. Like, you kind of have to strip all this down, but it's so hard to strip something down when you're locked into multiple guys making $30, $40 million a year. They're in a tough spot. They're in a really tough spot, which makes the next team way, way better. Just like you said, even though it's a horrible season for them, I don't think they're they're going to this offseason with anywhere near the questions. No, not as many questions as the Padres, but still when we're looking at win totals, the second most disappointing team, and that is the St. Louis Cardinals. 88 and a half at the beginning of the year projected winners of the national league central and they finished 20 
games below that. Of course, the season isn't over, but right now we are sitting with 68 wins for the St. Louis Cardinals. It's a disappointment, manager Ollie Marmol said regarding the team's losing record. We didn't do as well as we were supposed to this year. That's on me. We'll clean it up from an article written by Katie Wu in The Athletic. This season officially guarantees that they will not finish with a record at or above 500 for the first time since 2007, snapping the second longest active streak in Major League Baseball. The Cardinals, and again, that is from that same article written by Katie Wooth of The Athletic, who does an amazing job. John Moselock said, Ali Marmol is returning. And is it a good decision? No. I don't think Cardinals fans would say it is. I don't think anybody who's watched St. Louis Cardinals baseball since Ali Marmol has been at the helm would say that that's a good idea. However, this is the final year of his three-year contract, which he signed back in November of 2021. Now, this article, again, Katie does a really good job. They should go get Aaron Nola. But before we talk about what they should do next season, why were they so disappointing? Well, they have two pitchers under contract for next year. Miles Michaelis and Steven Matz. Steven Matz, I said it at the time, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because I think everybody thought that this would be a bad contract. Why are you giving a guy four years? I know it wasn't that much money, but four years for a guy who's never proven he's able to stay healthy. And what happened this year? He had to move to the bullpen to figure stuff out and was not healthy all year. And the guy that was healthy all year, the perceived ace of this team in Miles Michaelis, 4.95 ERA. Now there was one bright spot. Adam Wainwright got his 200th win. But unfortunately, throughout that chase for 200, Adam Wainwright was one of the worst pitchers in Major League Baseball. Now, a couple of their young pitchers have been moderately exciting. Zach Thompson has been okay. Dakota Hudson, since he returned back, has been pretty solid keeping the ball on the ground. Matthew Libertor, not really, but small flashes in there, and he's still super, super young. The pitching and... Mosellock's going to say it. Marmol's going to say it. Everybody who writes about the Cardinals is going to say it. And yet they continue not to go get pitching. They traded Jordan Montgomery, who will be a free agent at the end of the year. That was their best pitcher. And it's team. It's funny. A team who's hell-bent on getting pitching at the end of the year, why wouldn't you just then extend Jordan Montgomery? He's pitching really well for you, right? Because the problem for the Cardinals was not offensively, right? Tommy Edmond did take a step back. Where Jordan Walker, since he returned, was good. Nolan Gorman was good. Goldschmidt and Arenado still got theirs. The bullpen. I like. We're talking more about pitching. There was not one guy since Ryan Helsley went down that I think any Cardinals fans had any confidence in, whether that was Andre Pallante, whether that was Giovanni Gallegos. Giovanni Gallegos was a great relief pitcher, and then he just fell off a cliff. They were fine hitting. But they lost a lot of six to three ball games. They lost a lot of seven to four, seven to five ball games. And their offense wasn't good enough to overcome the shortcomings on the mound. Like when you got consistent BP being thrown to the other team, and they also weren't good in one run games, it was an absolute disaster. And they weren't at the top of the payroll list, but they they're up there at least moderately. And because of the 68-win season, because of finishing last place in arguably the worst division in Major League Baseball, I would argue it's the American League Central. But second is the National League Central, and you finish last behind the Pirates? They're number two for us, right? Absolutely. And you mentioned the payroll. I got to imagine it's what, either them or the Cubs that has the highest payroll in that division. I mean, mm -hmm. we know the Brewers don't have a big payroll. David don't do a lot more with what they have. Look, the, the Cardinals, again, I think when we look at this season, it's a disaster. I think we know, you know, like you said, what they haven't had a losing season since 2007. Like, we look at all these teams, and if we were to pick one to make the playoffs next year, it might just be the Cardinals because of the division they play and because of the success that they've had and because they still have a lot of pieces moving forward. But – the the pitching question, like, what are you doing? You got to do something. Like, 
are they going to go out and get Josh Hader to fix that bullpen? They should. You would think they have the money to sign a closer, but are they going to? I doubt that they're going to get Blake Snell. I don't know what they're going to do. Like, I imagine that they're going to end up just like signing Seth Lugo and being like, all right, we got, we got Seth Lugo and Steven Matz. They and, might, uh, they might just sign Michael. all of, they might just sign the Nick Martinez, Michael Waka, Seth Lugo trio from the Padres. <laughs> like that, that would be the most Cardinals thing ever. Like in this, in this article written by Katie, she's talking about how great of an addition Aaron Nola would be, but I agree. It would be a good addition. I agree. The Cardinals could do it based on their payroll situation. Aaron Nola isn't going to change the trajectory of your team. You need three or four Aaron Nolas. Like, can Zach Thompson throw 160 innings next year? Can Dakota Hudson throw 160 innings next year? Maybe not 160, but can they even throw 130? Can they be viable starters? Can Libertor do that? What has Libertor proven that they should give him the reins and say, yes, you are the three, four, five starter. Michaelis is only getting older, and this season has objectively not been good. A 4.95 ERA for Miles Michaelis when the average starter ERA in baseball, albeit it is inflated, 3.97 in 2022, 4.35 this year, he was still 0.6 runs worse than the average starting pitcher. Miles Michaelis at this point of his career should be your four starter, not your ace. They don't have one. They don't have a number two. They don't have a number three. So while the Aaron Nola signing sounds nice, I don't know if anybody's even going to touch Julio Arias. We don't even know what that situation is going to be like. They're not going to be in the Otani sweepstakes. You look at the free agent market, and I just keep thinking to myself, why did they not extend Jordan Montgomery? That makes no sense to me. You know, Jordan Hicks is gone from their bullpen. Like they, they have so many issues. That's why I say when you said, yeah, we still might pick them to win the central. There's no fucking way I'm picking them to win the central next year. They have no pitching and no bullpen that you cannot hit your way to a division crown because the Brewers, they have plenty. The Cubs are only getting better. The Reds are young and exciting. Why would we not pick this team to finish fourth or fifth? And it's not like the Pirates are a dumpster fire. They have a great system. And now the Cardinals have seen, you know, contributions from a guy like Mason Wynn, who is exciting, but he's not going to propel you to a division crown. They need a full revamp of starting pitching because while they have Tink Hens in the system, he's again, not going to come up and change the team entirely. They don't really have anybody in the pipeline and there's not a lot of great options in free agency. They have to be really strategic when it comes to trades And when the hell have they ever done that? When the hell have they ever been the team to trade for the big-time starting pitcher? Oh, wait, they did do it with Jordan Montgomery. They did do it with Jose Quintana. And they don't keep them because they always trade for the rentals because they're cheaper. They were in the Juan Soto sweepstakes, and they wouldn't part with any of their top prospects in exchange for Juan Soto. And I get why they didn't do that for a bat because they need pitching. When's the last time that they made a big-time trade? Nolan Arenado? You know you fleeced them anyway. You didn't even give up much. Austin Gomber was the headliner in that deal. So I don't give them a lot of credit for fleecing the Rockies in that deal. I have no idea what they're going to do. And this season, this is why they come in at number two, right? The Padres have been terrible. Padres are 10 games above the Cardinals. The Yankees are 12 games above the Cardinals. Even the Guardians. The Angels are two games above the Cardinals. The Angels. We read you their lineup. They arguably should be one. This has been horrible. Well, look, the only way that I would combat all that, and I agree with pretty much everything you said, especially the fact, like, how long are we mocking, like, Pablo Lopez to the Cardinals before the Twins got him? Like, we thought perfect, perfect landing spot. They didn't do it. The only thing I would say is, again, with the backdrop of them being a winning franchise for the past, like most of the past two decades, like I still believe in that franchise to figure out a way to be a winning team in the not too distant future, but they do have to figure out this pitching. And that one other thing I'd say about the win total, there's some teams that I think sort of understood their position sold at the deadline and were in effective tank mode. 
Like I imagine the Cardinals could have won a couple more games in the second half. I think that they they are squarely aware of trying to get in that top six. Um, and that's why that's part of what's happened to, to continue to lose. But no, no absolutely. It's been, it's been I agree. Absolute disaster. But at the same time, like it's a very similar lineup. It's a lot of the same starting pitchers that they started the year with. Yeah. It's just they traded Jordan Montgomery. It, you got to remember, it's also Wilson Contreras' fault because he's been catching. It's a good point. Even though Wilson Contreras has arguably been their best player this season, right? From an F4 perspective. <laughs> Funny enough, right? <laughs> Funny enough. I, I remember that, dude. But yeah, the thing is why I am not excited for them next year is it starts at the top. This is the same front office that I've been asking questions about for the last two years on the show. Ollie Marmel, who I think is one of the worst managers in Major League Baseball. So you start from the top, and I have so many questions about that duo. I would say among teams that are expected to be decent next year, and by decent I mean at least in the 500 range, is that not the worst duo? John Mozeliak and Ollie Marmol. And then I look at the team. Well, Paul Goldschmidt has regressed a little bit this year from, you know, his MVP in, in 2022. Is he going to get better? Probably not better. I think Cardinals fans would be happy if he maintained his production this year. 25 home runs, good defense, and just he's still a great player. Arenado, the same thing, right? You expect Jordan Walker to take that next step up. I don't have many answers for them, and it's I don't know if it's going to be in the free agent market, and at the same time, even if it is, are you guys going to be the team? There's plenty of teams who need starting pitching, right? Why is it the Cardinals then get them? Just because it makes the most sense. It's made the most sense for years. The Cardinals get under my skin because it's the, I feel like it's the same mistakes being made over and over again. And I genuinely love the Cardinals. I've always loved the Cardinals. Like Cardinals fans, if you're listening, and maybe if you're new watching this on YouTube, you might not know me. I've always loved Cardinals baseball. I've been on Cardinals radio plenty of times and talked to those guys. And it's just the same, like, rat trying to get the water who doesn't can't figure out how to climb up when there's a ladder right that's what it feels like but they ain't first they the new york mets are your most disappointing team of 2023 the new york mets had a 91 and a half projected win total and they are currently sitting with 20 less wins at 71 wins now the season ain't over yet but why did you decide to just put that hat on right because the binghamton rumble ponies are in the championship all right double a championship it's all about binghamton so uh yeah man it, bad season the big league club but but do you see the lineup we're trotting out in double a Luis and Hela Cunha, you know, you got Ronald Cunha Jr.'s little brother. You got uh, Drew Gilbert, looks like an absolute stud. Jet Williams is 19 in double A. We're fine. 2024, 2025, we're going to be in great shape. So, yeah, it's all about the Rumble Ponies. Let's eulogize the 2023 New York Mets. Oh, yeah, those guys. The floor is yours. Well, it was the disaster of the season. Uh, It was an absolutely horrible June. They went 7-19, and uh, and that – ultimately doomed them but look it it was it all started with the edwin diaz world baseball classic injury that was effectively where the season ended it's not but like that was oh this is if you're a mets fan every every single mets fan had the same feeling in their stomach where it's like i've seen this movie play out something like that happens it's like when i was a kid and duaner sanchez had an unbelievable season he was in a cab in miami got in a car accident and like messed up his forearm. It was after the year. It's things like that where a guy slips off a curb and hurts their toe or is celebrating in an exhibition game and you lose your hundred million dollar closer. Justin Verlander missed the beginning of the season. Jose Quintana, which we've seen now in the second half in the games that didn't matter, man, having Jose Quintana for the full year would have meant the world to the New York Mets, but they didn't. You know, they leaned on some youth, the youth that they did. Brett Beatty did not have the season you, you wanted. The funny thing is you still look at some of the main contributors and there's optimism because Francisco Lindor still had a good season. Pete Alonso in a down year hit 45 home runs. Kodai Sanga is going to finish in the top three of both the rookie of the year and the Cy Young. Francisco Alvarez looks like an absolute stud behind the dish. There's pieces moving forward and I'm happy about the direction that they chose to go because ultimately 
they saw the writing on the wall with this idea that they were going to win a World Series with Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. They realized probably not going to happen. They capitalized on Steve Cohen's investment by throwing a ton of money at these teams to get these aces at the deadline. And now their farm system looks great. So I, I think they've made the most of a horrible season. But again, if we remember what the expectations were on opening day, where they spent all that money, they were the hottest team of the offseason. They got Kodai Senga, Justin Verlander, did all these things to be sitting in this position where they're you know, fighting for a lottery odd spot at this stage in the season. Yeah, it is as big of a disaster and a biggest high price disaster that Major League Baseball has ever seen. I just think they did a good job of finding their way out of it to a point where I'm still happy to be a Mets fan next season because I think they at least created a plan that's going to work. And they got David Stearns to run their baseball ops, which I think is a massive victory to come out of all of it as well. How long have you been a Mets fan for? My entire life. Yeah, yeah. Your entire life. And how I old just are you? turned 28. So, uh, so in 28 years of rooting for the Mets, yeah, yeah, is this the biggest disaster season when it comes to expectations, right? Because there have probably been worse Mets years overall. Like when you look at a team that won 68, 67, 69 games, they're not, you know, they've already, they're above the 70 win threshold, but with expectations, with payroll in your 28 years of life, is this the biggest disaster that you've ever seen on your team? It, it's it's right up there. there. There's a couple that come to mind. Like there's the collapses where they were they were had a seven game lead with 17 to play in 2007. And they blew that. Um, that that's that's brutal. And that that almost hurts more. It's almost better in a season where your team just sucks and you know it's over instead of thinking you have a chance and it doesn't. I, I think the 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 most recent time where I could kind of you know, feel this, this type of way was like 2017 coming off two straight postseason appearances in the world series in 2015 and having that rotation all of a sudden, it's like a Matt Harvey might not have a career after that. Like that was the last time where so much went wrong, but again, you can't compare it to the expectations of this season and the money that was invested. There's no question. This is the biggest disappointment when you just judge by preseason expectations to where they ended up. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a disaster. What I will give credit to the Mets and a lot of teams on this list cannot say the same is is what you were speaking about, about the minor leagues, right? That's why I respect the hell out of Steve Cohen. Number one, I respected him because he came into Major League Baseball and said, well, if there aren't any rules, I'm going to spend as much money as humanly possible because I believe in this team and I love them. And he spent money like he was a fan with $13 billion. And that fires me up right? Get more money in the hands of players, create a super team. And if you have a problem with it, change the rules, right? He wasn't breaking anything. I think every fan wants their owner to be like Steve Cohen. And why I still respect him is that he looked at the team and said, you know what? We're not going to make it this year. And he was man enough to own up to his mistakes and try and build towards the future. That's why when I'm looking at teams from the top down, there's a lot of owners who aren't doing that, who are still telling their fans, hey, we're in it, or yeah, this was a tough season, but we're going to run it back next year, or now we're going to go get the starting pitcher. Now we're going to do all these things. And they didn't do any of that. They made good trades. They parted ways with Verlander and Scherzer and got good prospects in return. The Kodai Senga deal looks like a great deal. Imagine if we knew that Kodai Senga would have an ERA under three. In his first season, adjusting from the MPB, he'd got a lot more than $75 million, especially when we're about to see that Aaron Nola might get that over two years and then extend that over six. And yeah. still, Kodai Senga has been way better than Aaron Nola has this year. But with all that said, we haven't really talked about truly what made this team such a disaster. Right? I talked about on the Yankees side, how everyone got hurt. Nobody really played well, right? Outside of Aaron Judge and, and Glaber Torres. Like, who were some of the players that just disappointed you the most this year? Who you did have high expectations for because there were plenty of them. Well, Starling Marte is the 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 first name that comes to mind because you know, he was great last season. I mean, albeit he still had injuries last year, but he came to this year coming off double groin surgery and never looked right. So that that's one Jeff McNeil 
I mean, he has done a good job in the second half and the games that didn't matter to make those season stats look a little bit better, but it was a disaster of a season. He was a lot closer to the guy that they had in 2021 than the batting champ from last year. Um, and then look like, obviously you can point to the bullpen and, and that's not even just the Edwin Diaz thing. I mean, it's, it's everybody outside of David Robertson before the deadline and Brooks Raley before the deadline that struggled, but it's also the, the way that guys didn't perform. I talked about that June Pete Alonzo was terrible in June. He rushed back after getting hit in the wrist and probably shouldn't have, and then was pressing and just had a really bad month. And that was coinciding with when the Mets were bad. Max Scherzer, even though the stats overall with the Mets weren't terrible, I think his era was just over four. He gave up so many home runs. He was in and out of the rotation a little bit with nagging injuries. And just any time when there was a big start, he came up empty. So there's so many guys you can point to where, yeah, you look at, you know, even the stats not being too bad. It's if you were watching the season, the ebbs and flows, this was just a team that continuously came up short and never went on a run. I think they had like two five-game winning streaks all season. They just, they they had so much talent from last year, but I also think last year's team far outseeded expectations. You know, they were one of those teams that had all the one-run luck last year. And this year that came back to earth in a big, big way. And now they got to figure out what the core is moving forward. And I think the big question now is, are they going to sign Alonzo this offseason? But I think it was a team that, look, they were put in a hole from previous ownership. Like you said, Steve Cohen has done an amazing job trying to win. The fact is, it's really hard to just throw money at problems and win. And I think what came out of this season was a come-to-Jesus moment where they said, okay, we're going to have to pull back a little bit. They rebuilt their farm. And now, I think next season, they're probably going to let the farm system play a little bit at the big league level. I don't think they're going to be signing a bunch of position players this offseason. They have too much talent in the farm system to, to do that. But Steve Cohen's going to make the right signing. So we'll see if they get Yamamoto and they, they try to pair another starter from the MVP with, with Sanga in that rotation. They got some questions, but again, what, what they came out of this season with was a more clear plan than I think they even had going into this season. And it's more 2025, 2026, but the direction's there now. And, and I like where they're at, especially again, can't, over say this enough the david stearns coming in to lead your baseball ops we've seen what the brewers have done with no payroll i think that's going to put steve cohen the place he actually wants to be at which is a franchise that should be a perennial contender and i think the big news for the new york mets just moving past kind of what they did this season is the future of pete alonzo on the new york mets because there have been some weird quirks this season where he threw a ball into the stands and and all that weird shit. And he's kind of been a weird guy. But at the same time, he has been incredibly productive for the New York Mets in his short tenure with them. And when I say short, not that short, but it it feels longer than it's been, right? When he came up and set rookie home run records with 53 home runs. And he's been one of the best power bats in Major League Baseball but they also haven't extended him. And I feel like they haven't extended him for a reason. Do you think they're just going to let him go? What's your prediction for Pete Alonso's future with the Mets? I think that you know they, they there was a report that maybe Alonzo wanted a 10-year deal and the Mets weren't willing to go there. I think that they're in a position where they could let it play out and let him get to free agency and try to sign him the way the, the, the Yankees did with Judge. I feel like they will end up getting a deal done with Pete Alonso at some point. Um, but they should have got a deal done with him three years ago and they didn't. And so they're at a position now where they don't, there's not really much to gain by extending Pete Alonso as far as like, you're not saving any money. Pete's going to make over $20 million in arbitration next year. There's, he has every incentive to wait till he gets to free agency to sign a deal. So I think the funny thing about it is because of the way this season went, because Pete's had to hear his name in Trey rumors for the past couple months, what I actually could see happening is this might motivate Pete's side of it to say, look, I want to stay in New York. And he might, he might force the issue a little bit where something does get done. Um, but ultimately I, I think that this is a situation that 
it might not resolve itself until free agency. I just find it hard to believe that he's not going to remain a man. I think he probably does, but it's been the the biggest story since the deadline. It's all anyone could talk about. Are they going to, I don't think they trade him. Here's what I'll say for sure. They're not trading him this winter. The only way they trade Pete Alonso, in my opinion, is if 2024 is a disaster as well. And at the deadline, they're sitting in the same spot they were in this year. Other than that, I think they either extend him or they let him play out that last season. We see what happens in free agency. And that'll do it for the top five disaster teams in Major League Baseball. Just to recap, an honorable mention to the Cleveland Guardians for falling below expectations, but they do not meet our top five. Angels come in at number five. Yankees come in at number four. Padres come in at number three. The Cardinals come in at number two. And at number one, the New York Mets. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. Sub it in for Jack and Aram. Let the people kind of know where they can find you because you do a bunch of things. And Mets fans, certainly, they all know who you are. I mean, we're watching Rumble Ponies tonight. So, uh, you know, big times for me. <laughs> check check out, uh, if you want some Mets content, Locked On Mets every day, Monday through Friday. And, you know, as a managing editor, I'm running all the stuff we're doing on the editorial side. So check out all the written content we have at JustBaseball.com. And if you enjoyed this episode and you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button because we got plenty more for you. And comment. Do you think we were off base with any of the teams? Do you agree? Let us know in the YouTube comments below. And again, if you're listening on audio and enjoyed the show, if you could rate and review five stars, whether that be on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd be so kind to leave a written review, we'd greatly appreciate it. And if you're interested in some merch, we got it. Just baseball merch in the episode description. I'm rocking the hat. I'm rocking the athletic tee. Go check it out. Get yours in the podcast description. And of course, we are brought to you by BetMGM, King of Sportsbooks, Cogis Baseball for $1,500 in bonus bets. We'll be back tomorrow. That's Ryan. I'm Peter. And with that, thank you, everybody.